0: You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex
1: podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from
1: us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. After recording this incredible episode, Sam reached out and said that they wanted to add a little bit of a disclaimer or clarification on how they felt about their body. They want to be clear that their experience is their own and that many trans people do not love their bodies and that doesn't make their experiences any more or less valid than theirs. In no way do they mean to suggest that someone can just wish away their dysphoria by looking in the mirror and deciding to love their body. For them, the shame they felt around their body hair and other various parts of their body came from societal standards that they chose to reject. Dysphoria for them is a totally different experience, separate from societal standards of beauty. They feel their dysphoria much less since taking testosterone, and it didn't go away until then, no matter how much they tried to make it disappear. Basically, they just want to say, everyone's experience is valid, and don't discredit your experience just because you've never felt the way they do. Enjoy!
0: Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist.
1: And I'm Simone, your average law student who likes to talk about banging. And this week, we are joined by Sam. Their pronouns are they, them, and they are a queer, Arab, polyamorous, non-binary law student, what, what. (laughs) They've openly identified as queer for six years and as non-binary for four, although didn't start to identify as trans or start actively asking people to use they, them pronouns exclusively until two years ago. They once had a gender studies professor tell them that not identifying as either a man or a woman, quote, doesn't count as trans, and that single conversation delayed their coming out as trans for two years. They don't really know what else is supposed to go into a bio. Their parents were born and raised in Syria, but they were born in New York. They like singing and drawing and playing video games. Is that a good bio?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I tried my best. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, who the fuck was this professor?
2: (laughs) Um... She was she was my professor uh, for my junior seminar class. I was an English major in college, and she was running some sort of uh, trans event, actually. Uh, and so I went to talk to her about it and her office hours, um, and I was I asked her, you know, what what definition of trans she was using, and she said. Uh, anyone who doesn't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. And it's like, oh, yeah, sounds sounds right. Um, I was a student leader in various organizations um, that, you know, dealt with gender issues. So that made sense to me with with what I knew about things at that time. Um, And so, so I said, yeah, actually, I don't identify as as a man or woman. So that makes I guess I'm trans because I don't identify with the gender assigned to me at birth. She's like, no, no, that doesn't count. And she just seemed so much more well versed in everything than I was, so I kind of just accepted it and was like, okay, I guess I'm not trans.
1: Wait, was she trans or gender nonconforming or genderqueer or whatever? No, but she knew more about like what trans identity was.
2: I, I she, she seemed to think so. I was a, I was a baby, baby trans <laughs> person, and so didn't like wasn't didn't feel confident about my own identity yet. So it was really. I was very malleable.
0: Why do you think people have to have this binary? So even if you are trans, you're supposed to like choose one or the other. Like people need to categorize.
2: Right. I I think it's just a lot easier for people to understand. I mean, as human beings, we characterize people in lots of different ways so that when we see someone, we feel like we at least understand some things about them because if we took all of that away, it'd be terrifying. We don't know anything about anyone ever, uh, which I mean, just some degree is true. You don't really know very much just by looking at someone. Um, but so, yeah, for a long time, I, I did feel like I had to pick a gender, uh, one like male or female, uh, especially coming into law school. I went to my career counselor and I said, you know, more than anything, I want to be really successful in my career. I feel like I have, in order to do that, I have to pick a gender. Uh, I was really lucky that she just outright said, absolutely not. Don't do that. You have to, I mean, do whatever you're comfortable with, but you should be living your truth and we'll figure out the rest. That was the first day of law school. So um, I'm, I'm so glad that I met her and she's this wonderful presence in my life. But um, it's definitely been hard. Because there is a lot of misunderstanding, uh, but I do feel, at least in law school, people are open to learning, and that's as much as I can ask. I think
1: it kind of sounds to me like like non-trans people have or cis people have had, like have said a lot to you in terms of like validating or invalidating your identity. Do you feel like? like in the course of your life those people have had more of an influence or are there also like other trans or gender non-conforming people that have like also had a major effect on you and you living out your experience
2: um i think i think it's it's been a lot i think i've mostly been influenced by non-trans people but not in so let me explain so I, a lot of people for a lot of my life have told me, you are this way, or you ought to be this way. And, and that felt so wrong that it, it influenced me to, to not do that. So, mm. so a lot of people have been defining my identity for me, and I have, because of that, taken a lot of active steps to redefine myself, um, or to, to find the words to define myself as I already was.
0: I mean, I I don't know if this is an example, but I just, I can imagine the experiences that there's, even if it's sort of like insidious and small, is that people are always asking folks to to identify and, and pick a side. So whether you're filling out a form for school or whether you're doing this or picking which bathroom to go to, like everyone in society is being like, hey, pick.
2: Right, right. But, yeah, so before I started taking hormones, the, if, I, if I had to pick between um, the men's room or the women's room, I would pick, based on that, the circumstances where I was, where I felt less unsafe. Um, because most of the time, before I started taking hormones, even though I dressed pretty masculinely, people still um, defaulted to female. Uh, but, you know, I drive a lot through the middle of pennsylvania and western pennsylvania and 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 so i was never sure what you know the temperature was of the queer awareness or Mm -hmm. acceptance that was happening in those communities but then after i started taking hormones i was i'm pretty much now always gendered male um but i still feel really uncomfortable using the men's room because even though I'm not I've never had like a bad experience in a bathroom I I do feel a little like what what's going to happen if they realize I don't have a penis you know like I'm not using the urinal like Mm. what what are they going to do if they they notice that I've like seen their dick like I don't know (laughs) There wow. is some of that, but, but a lot of it, at, at least in New York, I, I don't think that it's as much a feeling of um, being unsafe, but it's much more are people going to notice which bathroom I walk into and how is that going to influence the way that they see me? Because if they see that I've chosen the, man, the men's bathroom, will they think, oh, this person identifies as male? And so then they would find that as like a valid... Yeah. way to gender me... I mean, that happened instead to ...instead of today. actually... Yeah.
1: Like, so, when we were racing to the bathroom, I saw there was a men's room and a women's room, and I was like, oh, Sam's gonna use the men's room. And, like, then I came out, and you were like, I didn't, there wasn't, like, a gender-neutral one, and I was like, fuck, I just gender Sam as male, not as they-them, which I'm sorry about.
2: I appreciate that, but, yeah, I mean, it, people do it all the time. I do it all the time. Yeah. I, I see people... I, and I, I default to male or female based on how they look. It's, it's hard to break out of but um, I saw this Tumblr post years ago actually uh, that was, that said, just said, don't gender strangers. I try to remind myself of this and I think about it all the time because I always gender strangers. Oh
1: really? It's like people like, you see or people someone's, someone's talking about.
2: Both. I mean if I've just everyone. We gender everybody. We always, we always take guesses. And, and when we don't know someone's gender, it makes us uncomfortable.
0: So you identify as non-binary and for people who don't know what that is, can you describe what that means to you or for you?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I don't identify as a man or a woman. Um, Gender for me is quite performative. I uh, I usually dress pretty masculine, but I like to play with my outfits and and my gender presentation. Um, it is it's kind of it's hard for me to explain non-binary other than you know. Well, here's, here's a way. Uh, so I, I read somewhere that some, t- some researcher in some study, not very specific, um, <laughs> um, was trying to get a sense of, of children's gender identity. Uh, and so the, what the researcher did was they had uh, the kids make a video game avatar of themselves. Um, you, know, you know, what do you look like but on the inside is, I think, how they framed it. Um, and as non-binary, when I'm playing a video game and the avatar options are male and female, I look at it and I'm like, there are no options for me. Neither of these fit. It doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, and so there are, I, have, I have very feminine aspects of myself or, you know, what people would typically categorize as feminine. Yeah, that um, lace
1: collar the other day. <laughs> Yeah. Sam showed up in this like fat like as Sam said they like generally present typically masculine and the other day he showed up with this like fabulous burgundy cardigan with this like big lace collar and I was like damn
2: looking good <laughs> yeah I walked in I walked into uh, school and one of my friends looks at me and kind of furrows her eyebrows and I'm like what said. That doesn't seem to match your personality. And I thought that was really funny because, I mean, she had never seen me in anything like that. Uh-huh. So I guess it makes sense because it doesn't seem to match the part of my personality that she has seen. Well, so that's like saying that gender is a part of your personality, though. For me, it is, I is. OK, I think it's But it's I different. think,
0: Simone, even you reacted to it and you were like, oh, damn, like that looks good. You know, as opposed to like, do you, I wonder if you react that way. When it was Sam like was queering your own queerness. queerness.
2: Right. Yeah. It was a statement piece.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, well, so. it sounds like it was fabulous. I just mean in general, like, even if you identify as non binary, if you've been like dressing a certain way, and then you decide to play with that or get more creative, people still have a reaction.
2: Exactly. I was, yeah, I I took that. So I used that sweater as kind of like my announcement to the world that I'm going to. I'm going to play with femininity again. Um, And I, I I chose that sweater because it was a very, it was a very audacious kind of a statement. And And like, it wasn't just a, Oh, I'm, you know, wearing a feminine cut, like button down, or I'm wearing, you know, a skirt or something more subtle where people wouldn't necessarily know what to do with it. I think that sweater really said, I'm playing with gender. Um, and so I wanted it to be, you know, a statement, um, because for a while, um, I have, I've been, so I've been on testosterone now for almost a year, I think maybe 10 months now. Um, and there was a pretty clear switch for when people started gendering me male, uh, most of the time, as opposed to female, most of the time. Um, and I was hoping I I said to a friend, you know, I want to get to a place where, you know, I'm masculine enough that I can put on women's clothes and people are still confused. So (laughs) (laughs) like, I feel quite validated when people are confused by my gender. And I think that that's not true for a lot of people. So, uh, but when people genuinely don't know what gender I am, um, that to me means that I've, I have presented in the way that I wanted to. Um, <gasps> because, yeah, because for most people it's male or female. So if they're confused, then in their head that's neither. And that is, that is me. I'm neither. But I'm both mm-hmm. also. Uh, yeah. Before
1: you started testosterone, do you think you tried harder to be masculine presenting?
2: Oh, certainly. Yeah, I tried. I tried very hard. Uh, and before I got the the right kind of binder, I used to I used to use ace bandages, which really messed with me. It's not. Could you explain time.
1: what a binder is?
2: Yeah. So, um, as a a person who was, who has breasts, um, and I, I, I don't mind I don't mind my breasts when I'm naked, but. It doesn't, it do, when I'm wearing clothes, it doesn't look the way that I want it to look. So in order to ha- look like I have a flat chest, I wear a binder, which is essentially like a sports bra, but um, the front of it is this like firm canvas type material. So it kind of spreads out your boobs um, and pushes them down so that it looks flatter. Um, How does it feel to wear it? So i wear gc2b binders now i the first binder i ever had i bought it on amazon and the entire the entire binder was made of this completely inelastic material um so there was i mean not a lot of room to breathe um but with gc2b binders i feel like i'm Making an advertisement for them, but if
1: you want to advertise with us, GC Two, we will take your bunny.
2: <laughs> I actually know the person who uh, runs it, but they're great. Also, non-binding. There's a
1: discount code: <laughs> SAM the Slut.
2: <laughs> uh, but so the, the binders that I wear now are are really elastic on the back, and the front is very firm. So when I was wearing the inelastic binder, um, my I had the experience that. Uh, a lot of people have that their their rib cage kind of doesn't line up quite as well. I I've had I've had a massage therapist and a physical therapist and a doctor and a nurse all explain this to me. I still don't fully understand what happens, but there's cartilage and bones, and when you're when you're binding and everything's kind of being pressed together, something kind of shifts. I think in the cartilage region, hmm. um, and it can be very painful and. Usually, if I stretch properly, it'll pop back into place. Um, So my sternum actually audibly pops. um, Wow! When it gets to be that way, and with the inelastic binder, that happened much more often. It still happens now, but if with with the right stretches, um, I can keep it from uh, getting stuck in that place. Um, I'm curious, what
0: had you decide to to start testosterone? Because I do. I don't know if you agree with this, but For other trans folks and friends that I've talked to, there does still seem to be a hierarchy within the broader community and the trans community that, like, you're supposed to, like, still choose or think about transitioning. And so I wonder, what had you decide to take hormone replacement therapy?
2: Right. Um, Actually, my partner started taking testosterone. My partner is also non-binary. And um, I think... The constant being gendered as female um, really exhausted me. Um, and I became quite defiant. <laughs> I, am, I am defiant. I didn't become yeah, anything. I've always been defiant. Um, but in this particular way, um, I, I really wanted that to stop happening. Um, And my partner started taking testosterone. I was hesitant about it because I wasn't sure that I wanted to grow facial hair. I wasn't sure I wanted my voice to drop. Um, But my partner started taking it, and I saw how their body was changing. And I thought, you know, this seems okay, so let's try it out. And honestly, it's going much better than I thought it would. I thought I would tolerate becoming this masculine, but I feel... It feels much more right. What um, was it
1: like to have like more hair?
2: I already have a great amount of hair. Right, on you're my Syrian. Body. <laughs> I'm am Syrian. I stopped shaving, waxing, all that stuff in high school, um, and so my body hair has really not changed much.
1: Interesting. What was facial hair like?
2: Um, I had a little bit of a mustache already, and I decided in high school when I stopped Me shaving. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> When I stopped shaving, I was like, you know what? I hate my mustache, but I'm going to decide to not hate it. So I'm not going to I'm not gonna bleach it. I'm not going to wax it. I'm not going to shave it. I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to look at it in the mirror every single day and tell myself I don't hate it.
1: That is so fucking fierce. <laughs> oh, my God. Talk about learning to love yourself. And uh, You
2: know, it worked, actually. Uh, I,
1: you like your stash?
2: I, I, I do. Um, I do like it. And then when I... Uh, I was still having to perform email in front of my family members some time ago and so when I was going to this family function I had uh I had to shave my my little mustache because it had gotten darker because I, had, I had just started taking testosterone um and I wasn't ready to tell my parents yet and I, I had had that mustache for so many years and then it was gone and it was so wrong and I, I couldn't believe that it was gone um so you did grow to love it. I really did, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I sort of empathize with that, and th- not in that i like truly identify as gender nonconforming, but I do like not performing femininity sometimes, and so I'm like really partial to my body hair, especially my pit hair, and I had to wax it last year for this movie I did, and it made me like so sad yeah. because like these things that like make us really feel validated and like. Whatever level of, like, no, I'm not that. I'm not what you think I am. I don't know. Not that it's the same, but just, like, that, that no, what you yeah. were saying, like, did really resonate with me.
2: Right. Yeah, I think that, I think that it's, a, it's a common experience that not... I don't, I don't know anybody that fits into society's idea of a man or society's idea of a woman perfectly, like, in every way to the T. Right? So we all have the opportunity to defy gender by just being true to ourselves um, all the time. Mm -hmm. But then it's about, are you, you know, are you brave enough? Are you safe enough to do that? Um, I mean, it's
0: all just culturally created anyway, right? Like even when you're describing that sometimes you express yourself more traditionally, quote unquote, masculine, like who decided what masculine is as opposed to like, Oh, I'm just wearing my clothes today. And today I'm going to wear this. And tomorrow I'm going
1: to wear that. Mm -hmm. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um I think we've talked for too long not about sex. Um, <laughs> I have that so- That's Simone's often. barometer. Simone is always <laughs> like, okay, no, this is getting too serious. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> No, well, one of the things that Sam said they wanted to talk to us about, in fact, they like reached out and they were like, I want to talk about this is like the like what sex is like as a masculine presenting non-binary person and like how much you love being naked and like I'm just curious. what's changed since testosterone? Yeah, Yeah. like what's changed since testosterone, especially we had a listener reach out and they were like, I really appreciate what you're trying to do by saying like people with vulvas and people with penises, but I actually think, I'm curious about how sex changes when you're more like testosterone driven or estrogen driven, Mm -hmm. especially as it relates to like styles of orgasms anyway we know that's a lot but like take it away Sal.
2: okay i'll start with <laughs> so- extreme sex dreams because it's at, I, it's the first thing that came to mind my sex dreams changed a lot after, yeah, after starting testosterone not immediately uh after after a few months um i mean i used to have very there they've always been quite vanilla sex dreams in all definitions of that term but uh after so and it was always like I was me I had my body and all of my parts were the same as they are when I'm awake um with another woman usually and then not well, I say another woman see I did, I say another woman I've gotten so used to saying that because like I saw myself as a lesbian for so long but oh, I'm not yeah. a woman um But yeah, and so after like six months or so, I started having sex dreams about people with penises and sometimes I had a penis and it was really strange because I, you know, I thought about those dreams and I thought, okay, does this mean that I have, you know, dysphoria about my genitalia, like... Do I want a penis? Like, what does this mean about what's going on inside me? I don't. I really, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with my, my toy penises that I can leave at home, um, you know. Or not. Or, or not, or take with me. But, you know, I like the, the optionality of, of dildos. But um, it, was, it was a really interesting change for me. I had this one dream recently where I, I thought that I had a flesh penis, And so did the person that I was having, that I was about to have sex with. And then when we both realized it was not a flesh penis, it was actually a dildo, um, a strap-on or the insertable one, um, it wasn't very clear, that person was like, oh, no, I can't do this anymore, and left. Did this person have a penis? No, this person had a vulva and was feminine presenting. and. It was interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what my my brain is trying to tell me right now. I
1: had a dream. I pulled out one of my molars. So,
2: ouch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's. Ow. It was very weird. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> like an inside
2: out with the rain. Let's do.
1: Let's tea. do a little
0: dream analysis. As <laughs> of Sam's dream. From a ther- From a therapeutic perspective. No, I don't. Know. Oh yeah, bring I'm, it. Okay, I would say. If I had to analyze
1: this dream. <laughs> Wait, hold oh. on. Were you? I mean, perhaps you were sad that that person no longer wanted to fuck you. But how did you feel when you had a flesh penis up. versus when you realized it was a strap-on or insertable? I love you.
2: Yeah. Um, I was like, whoa, cool. Because my partner, <laughs> my partner told me um, when I started taking testosterone, they said, so your clit is going to grow. Um, about 7%, I'm not 100% certain on the statistic, but my partner said about 7% of people who start taking testosterone, um, their clit grows large enough to actually successfully penetrate. And so in my dream, I looked down and I was like, I'm the 7%. <laughs> How great is that? <laughs> uh, but Has that then, actually
0: happened yet? <laughs>
2: No, I, not not for me. I don't think it's gonna happen for me, uh-huh. but that's okay. But have it you noticed like change? a change? Yeah, yeah, it's much bigger. It looks like a little penis. Oh nice. Does
0: it make it more sensitive?
2: Yeah. Um, it does. It's like like my clit now kinda looks like the head of a penis. And so I find myself. Which is utilizing what they all look the like if we much really go more. In there. Than mm. I had in the past because there, it's just oh. the surface area of my, the, like, the head of the clit has grown. And so it is more sensitive now.
1: And, ha- like, has the hood also grown so you can, like, use it to, like, move up and down? Like, similar to, like, moving, like, a foreskin on the shaft of a penis?
2: I don't think it's grown. I don't think it's grown. But it is big enough.
1: Okay. So, so your, the head of your clit protrudes more from the hood? Yeah. So is it more
2: sensitive? It is. And, like, the, the it's like a shaft now, too which I had never, I know, I know the anatomy of it. Like I can picture the picture, you know, the image in my mind. There's, there is a little, like a little shaft where the, the clit nerve is. Mm -hmm. I don't use technical terms if you couldn't tell. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now it's a shaft and it's, yeah. Does it go up? No. When you get aroused? No, I don't
1: think so. Okay. It just gets firmer.
2: Yeah. I like humping more now too. Like dry humping? Or, like, what do you mean? Because sometimes I say hump when I'm talking about, like,
1: so you mean like rubbing up against like a surface? Yeah. Do you hump a pillow and like
2: a thigh? Well, I don't. I mean, I hump. I don't usually. I I often have the urge to, but then I don't. I don't know why. Maybe I should. Maybe I should start dry (laughs) humping things. But there's a lot of grinding. a lot more grinding now when when you're fucking. it, It never really interested me, you know, before, but now. I do that a lot more. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Has it changed your arousal and, and libido?
2: Um, I, yeah, I, I am not someone that has sex very often, generally, unless my, oh, unless my partner wants sex often. Um, it does, like, the drive usually doesn't come from me, but since taking testosterone, that has changed. I have been the one initiating things a lot more often um i watch a lot more porn now has the
1: porn you like changed
2: <laughs> yeah you know it's funny i it doesn't make any sense to me at all maybe nicoletta will have an opinion on this i used to <laughs> exclusively watch gay porn like cis man with a penis with another cis man with a penis hot and now i'm watching straight porn and i don't know how i'm like i don't know if I like that about myself, then I you're like upset
0: porn. that it's like too too gender
1: too mainstream. It's so
2: mainstream. I Just like <laughs> they just like know. chill, regular
1: mainstream cis porn.
2: Yeah, like,
1: cis hat porn. Oh my gosh,
2: it's I don't know. I don't know why, but humping straight porn. I feel like a teenage boy.
1: Do you say like you call it like people your bros? Find yourself like doing I, I dude don't. shit I,
2: I don't, but it's
1: <laughs> telling you like,
0: hey, <laughs> I don't think taking testosterone automatically makes you a toxic masculine person <laughs> oh,
2: <Ow. laughs> it's fine, I just hit my elbow on the wall it's fine um well,
0: we did it's interesting because we't we cry, somebody, okay. <laughs> yeah, boys don 't cry. Um, we did have somebody message us recently to talk a little bit about this, and I think it's interesting what you said, because in some past episodes, um, especially with Wednesday Martin, we talked about like responsive versus spontaneous arousal. Mm -hmm. And so usually for estrogen driven people, their sexuality is more responsive, meaning they're not initiating maybe as much, but it takes more um, to get to that level of desire versus testosterone driven people have more spontaneous arousal where they're like, oh, I'm aroused. Let's hump. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah. I definitely feel that for me, at least.
1: Have there been other, like, in terms of like this, uh, besides like this humping and like greater utilization of your of of the shaft of your clit? Have you noticed like any other sex things that has changed, both in like the physical way in which you practice sex, but also like how you get your partner aroused and like like the flirting and the seduction and all of that.
2: Um. What I do with my partner hasn't really changed uh, other than just what you learn over time and trying new things, kind of the normal changes. Uh, but flirting has changed. So to remind everyone, I'm Polly. Don't, don't, I don't cheat on my partner. Uh, we, yeah, I don't need to explain Polly unless you need me to. But. No,
1: you can listen to the episode Polly Want a Cracker with Dirty Lola if you're interested for more information.
2: Awesome. Um, but yeah, so... I it's funny. I've always been almost exclusively attracted to gay men of the of the male population, uh, and I it was always really just this inaccessible population. To oh, me. you mean
1: the only men that you were attracted to were gay? Yes, got it. I thought you meant you were only attracted to gay men, like in life. Okay,
2: cool. Um, right. So you know, as like a feminine presenting person, several years ago, uh, I. My, my gay man thing was just a fantasy because no gay man was attracted to me, uh, which was fair. That's, you know, I was quite feminine. Um, but now it seems all of a sudden, but it's not. Uh, but now all of a sudden um, gay men are flirting with me and I literally don't know what. to. I just <laughs> clam up because it's been my dream for so long. And now it's here. And I just stare at them with no words coming out of my mouth. It is really embarrassing. But, <laughs> like, I just don't... Like, I've been, I've been trying... I was trying to ask one of my gay friends, like, can you teach me how to flirt? Because I know how to flirt with women, but it's a different... It feels different. You like, need
1: a gating
0: coach.
2: Like a I, day yeah, day. nice.
0: <laughs> Do you think they That'd know you have a vulva?
2: No, no, I don't. Well, so, one of my friends is very... Very supportive. Um, we were at a gay bar, and I, I told her about this, this recent development, and she said, I'm going to get you a gay man. And I said, no, listen, I, I'm not ready yet. This is, that, that was the night that I actually realized it for the first time, that gay men were attracted to me. Um, I said, I need to just, you know, sit with this for a little, and then next time you come, I'll be ready. But she did not take that to heart whatsoever she went out and found me a gay man and then she came up and she's like hey so my friend over there is going to come over and talk to you he thinks you're really cute i already told him that you're trans and i was like oh my god um, and so he came up to me and he's like i think you're really cute and i don't know we talked about my denim jacket or something stupid and he's like <laughs> i'm going to kiss look you better
1: now. on my floor
2: oh my gosh i would have crumbled <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay carry on so then what you talked about the denim jacket um which might be like the gayest thing i've ever heard right? <laughs>
2: uh and then he's like yeah i'm gonna kiss you now and i was like okay <laughs> and so we made out and it was fine i think i'm a better kisser than him because he said you're a really good kisser and i was like thanks and i didn't say that back because he wasn't really good <laughs> oh my god that happened that happens to me too And <laughs> yeah i mean i i'm a I'm really just gonna, good kisser like, i'm a
1: really good i feel like being okay. a good kisser what do you think makes a good kisser
2: being responsive to your partner.
1: Exactly. You just kind of match what they're doing. And so obviously they're going to be like, you're a good kisser because you're following along with them.
2: Yeah. What do you but think makes
1: know. a good kisser, Nicoletta? It's
0: Subjective, but I like what you said, the responsiveness. Like instead of someone just like forcing their style and their tongue down your throat and being like, I'm not changing the way I'm doing this. But yeah, to, to be responsive, I agree with that.
2: <laughs> yeah. You try a little tongue. If they're not into it,
1: you pull oh, it back. Wow. So we mentioned, like, some things about, like, your body, and you talk about having breasts and, like, having a vulva. So have you ever, like, felt like those terms don't fit?
2: Uh, I haven't, actually. Um, So I I started having sex with a new person some time ago. um, And and she was, like, she had never been with a trans person before. um, And so she did a lot of research and, like, asked her friends and stuff. And so the first time we had sex, she asked me. She said, "Are there any like specific words that you want me to use?" That was what she said. Those are the exact words. And I, I, looked at her. I was like so confused. I'm like, like, I've heard that too. I, I didn't. I didn't even know she's talking about my body. I was like, words oh. about what? Like, like what words turn me on? I don't. I have no idea. I don't. I don't have words like a safe <laughs> word. What are we? What are we talking about here? Um, and and she's like, you know, for. Like, do you want me to call any part of your body any particular phrase? And I was like, that is so sweet. It was really, it was a really beautiful, tender moment. Um, and I was like, no, it's fine. Interesting. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good with it. Like, I I like my body. I love my body. I, I love my vulva. Um, I, I think it's very interesting the way that it has changed. In some ways, that it has stayed the same. Um, I've been looking at my vulva since I was a small child, and like playing with my labia. Like one is longer than the other, and fucking same. <laughs> um, and it really astonished me that some people had never actually looked. Like, this, I feel like a vagina monologue right now. Um, <laughs> and I was like, why wouldn't you look? Like, why didn't you look when his hair started growing down there? Like, aren't you interested in what's happening? But you know, ah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I love my vulva. I have often mixed feelings about my boobs. Like sometimes I wear my binder during sex, and sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes my, I'll I'll let my my partner touch my boobs, but often I I'm just not into it really. Um, but it doesn't bother me. They don't bother me that they're there. Mm. Um, it just doesn't it just doesn't really interest me. It sounds
0: like you don't always like them being, like, sexualized. Like, I know a yeah. lot of, I guess, male-identifying people or that would identify as male-bodied people who don't care to have their nipples played with, and it's not like they hate their nipples. It's just like, uh, eh, you know, not into it.
2: Right. It's funny, though, because I love boobs. I just don't mm. care really for my own.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of people love boobs.
2: Boobs um, are just yeah. pretty
0: generally great. I, how did you get to a place where you felt so confident about so many parts of your body?
2: Um, I, re- I think it's the same, same thing I did with my mustache. I just stared at myself in the mirror and decided that I wasn't going to hate it anymore.
1: Oh, my God. Where would you get the idea for that? You just, like, it grew forth?
2: Uh, yeah. I, I I Sometimes my therapist tells me that I, I try to use logic for too many things.
0: <laughs> but sometimes uh, it's helpful. Sometimes it works. I mean, yeah.
2: I've always loved my vulva. I've, I've had, yeah, but... Other parts of my body, I've had body image issues and, like, I definitely experience dysphoria when I'm clothed. It's really interesting. When I put clothes on, is that's when I feel wrong in some way. Um, that's when I think I, may, I maybe want top surgery or mm. I might want to have, like, surgery around my hips to make them less, like, because when I gain weight, it's in my ass and my thighs and, I, I look pretty curvy. But when I'm naked, I just love my body.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. If only there I was a
0: way like, to just be naked all the time. I know. Nude. Nicoletta says nude. Is nude. <laughs> um, I don't
1: know. Where do you fall in this category, Nicoletta?
0: I don't know. When you were, thinking, when you were talking about it, it did make me think, like, when do I feel the sexiest? And it's often when I'm naked. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just in a natural form. I don't know for you if, like, putting on clothes has to do with, like, matching the cultural societal norm or performing or being performative as opposed to just being like in your natural space. Um, Right. I have no idea, but I wish there was a, hopefully New York keeps getting more and more liberal and it's not just free the nipple. It'll be like, you know, free everything. (laughs) You
1: can just be naked. Well, there are places in the world like that for you, Nicoletta. And for me. Yes, there are. But you also brought
2: up something something before
0: about like safety and stuff. And so of course it makes me think of that, but I mean, it sounds like you have no, maybe I'm misinterpreting, but no shortage of um, suitors or people who are interested. <laughs> and I wonder how, would it, how does it feel or how has it felt for you to potentially be um, like an experiment or a fetish for somebody else? Like, oh, I've never yeah. been with someone like you before. Let's give it a try. What's that like?
2: Yeah, well, so it's funny that you, you say I have no shortage of suitors. I guess at the moment you're right, but, like, most of my life I, had, um, I just didn't really, you know, know myself very well. Um, and it seemed like really nobody was attracted to me. I was trying to be, like, a white girl in the suburbs of New Jersey and it just didn't work. And so for most of my life, I thought I was unattractive. It didn't bother me all that much. Um, it's just something I accepted about myself. And then when I started, when I, you know, came out as queer and just started dressing the way that I wanted to dress and people started being attracted to me and I was like, what do I do? And I still... Fuck. <laughs> right. I not after- like, uh-oh, fuck. Like, that's what you do. Fuck. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just hope that's clear. Um, <laughs> But yeah, even after all these years, like it's I still I'd internalized that part of my like what I thought about myself so much that I still am surprised when people are attracted to me. So, even even in circumstances where someone is kind of fetishizing me, it still feels like an honor to have someone be attracted to me, but that's something I mm. seriously need to work on. But I had I did have an experience with someone who I'd never had a queer relationship before. I'd never been with a trans person. And I didn't feel like I was being fetishized. Um, But by the end of that experience, I did feel like that person was using me to explore their own sexuality. Because I look like a guy, but I'm not. So it felt safer as kind of a first step. For that person. And I, I, I did feel used and I didn't appreciate that. But it's hard to um, tell when that is going to happen or not.
1: Do you think it would have felt less icky if they were like, I'm very unsure about this. I don't like this is something I'm exploring about myself. And if you're not OK with that, like, I understand.
2: Yeah, I mean, so th- that person did tell me, you know, I've never been in a, in a queer relationship before, and so there's a lot of learning I have to do. Um, but I think that there after that, there wasn't really any communication about that person's exploration of, of their sexuality. Um, and so it was like we started in a good place, but after that, I tried to open it up. Like, how's it going? Exploring your sexuality, you know, like, how, what, what are you feeling? Have you been, you know, cause I'm poly, I, I encourage my the people that I see to, to do whatever they want, see other people as long as, you know, we communicate about it. Um, and that person was just really not communicative about it whatsoever. Um, and I think I was so wrapped up in other things that I, I should have either pushed for more communication or just removed myself from the, the relationship. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was tough. But it's, yeah. uh, I, I, I think that person is doing their best um, and didn't know a lot about themselves yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't ever want to be in that position again.
0: understandable. I I mean, I think also where I was thinking about with the suitors now or just having more people around it. And and way earlier, you were just talking about um, having your new advisor when you started law school be so much more open and supportive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you do plan to to be a lawyer with your law degree or do something else with it. But I do wonder if there is any fear or has there been concern for how people are going to receive a non-binary person? in yeah, a court of sure. law or in, like, a conservative field.
2: Abs- absolutely. I mean, it's something I think about all the time. Um, you know, I, my, what I like to wear professionally, I like to wear a suit. Um, so my, my fear is... I, it's not a fear. Maybe it is. I don't know how judges are going to react to me. I think a lot of them are going to default to male. And then the question is, do I correct them? How much... How much do I push my pronouns? Because as a lawyer, my role is an advocate for my client. Mm-hmm. And so if it detracts from my client, should I still do it? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but what has definitely helped is that the firm that I'm going to next summer and after, hopefully after graduation has... You don't fuck up. If I, if I don't <laughs> fuck it up, fingers crossed, Um <laughs> That firm has trans people that I met. That firm has a non-binary lawyer. Um, and, and so also I've been, I've been, I lived in Philadelphia for some period of my life and so I have friends there and I, I see what they post on Facebook. And um, there's a trans man who is running for a judge position in Philadelphia. And, like, I honestly did not think that that could happen for a long time. And so seeing things like that, meeting lawyers like I've met at my firm, at le- I feel like at least I'm not fighting this completely on my own. Also, Lavender Law, I met a ton of non-binary lawyers. I hadn't met a, I hadn't met a trans lawyer, like, my whole life. Apparently they exist. <laughs> um, so What
0: is Lavender Law?
2: Yeah, Lavender Law It's an annual conference um, where there are, it's just, you know, queer people that work in the law, uh, and allies and anyone that wants to learn, um, but mostly queer people come to this conference. There are a ton of sessions, um, about various issues in the law or, you know, workplace things. Um, there are people presenting, professors that present, and practitioners, and I think there's, there are judges too. And then there's a job fair at the end of the conference. It's a really great networking opportunity, and I don't, I don't just mean professionally, but it's, it's a really great opportunity to just meet other people like you that are doing the same thing. It felt like a bre- breath of fresh air. and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I'm not going to you know, like, be the only non-binary person at my law firm or in the legal fields generally. What it
1: seems like you're talking about is like the importance of finding community. And I know we have to wrap up soon, but I'm, I'm sure we have people that are listening that don't have a community yet are feeling very similar to you. And I'm curious if you have advice for them and ideas for how to seek out community um, or anything like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Um, I... Even, even with, you know, Lavender Law and, like, living in New York City, um, it's still hard to feel like I have a community, um, I feel, I feel like I'm not, I'm not part of sisterhoods anymore, um, but I'm not really part of the guys club, mostly because I don't understand how they work, not because I've been pushed out, but, um, and Do we really want to understand I how they work or not? Right? Do really like, want to be in the Should I voice? lean into <laughs> that privilege? I don't oh, know.
0: Oh yeah, mm, that's interesting.
2: Um, but I think so. My advice for finding community is to not give up hope that there are other people out there who love and accept you, and that have similar experiences as you, even when it feels like there actually isn't anyone in the world. Because there there are people, it can be hard to find them. Um, but you know, if you're in the legal field, lavender law is a great a great thing to start with. Um, there are also you know like meetup groups, um, which can be hard to push yourself to go to for the first time. But you um, meet a lot of great people.
1: Any safe online uh, communities that you know
2: of? I'm not much of an party. online community kind of person. I like to see Fair people. Enough. Yeah, face to face.
1: And then there's just one thing you said that I think Nicoletta is probably also really curious about. You talked about like, should I step into that privilege? And I'm super curious if you've had moments where you've been like, oh my god, I have male privilege in this space.
2: All the time. All Tell the time. Okay. So I was
0: wondering that also.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I it was <laughs> meow. This is me doing same wavelength. Whatever.
2: <laughs> I actually I've coined a term. I'm gonna write a book with this as the title. So no one take it. Okay, the tripled. title is trans-spreading. And it is the phenomenon of a masculine-presenting trans person leaning into male privilege. And so, for me, there's this constant question of should I trans-spread? Should I lean into this privilege that is being given to me? Um, Because, like, it's been something I've been deprived of for my entire life and now I have it. Great! But, is it great? Um, So there's this one this one experience I had, I was at a firm last summer as well. And I was working with this one attorney. It was just me and this other attorney. We went to a deposition, which is where we take testimony from witnesses um, pre- prior to the trial. And anyway, that doesn't matter. Uh, but this, this cisgender male attorney um, was treating me like a dude and like slapped me on the back and was like my buddy and was like really intentionally inclusive in every part of the experience. Um, and it was, I mean, that was an opportunity. That was a a time where I said, this is a learning opportunity. I'm going to lean into it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to correct him on my pronouns. I'm not going to have a conversation with him about my gender. I feel like I'm being let into this space that I otherwise would be Pushed out of subconsciously, I think. I think he's a good person who does this subconsciously, but um, and and so that was an instance where I leaned into it. Um, but it, it can be really uncomfortable doing that sometimes. Like I don't know how, like whether I should let myself get away with things like that. But I don't. In that circumstance, I wasn't taking away from anyone. Um, there was it wasn't like there was another woman associate who wasn't getting that same attention in that circumstance. Um, but there are times when I lean into it for the sake of others. For example, I was in class and we were doing a practice client interview and a male student uh, said, um, like, so there, there were some hiccups in the interview. It was students were learning. Um, and the there were there were two men and two women interviewing the pretend client and one of the one of the man students man students whatever said what my colleagues were trying to say and then and then continued right and so but at the end of at the end of it we were doing you know feedback and i said one of the students said this and i understand that he probably meant to be helpful and to clarify but that really was undermining to the other student based on the demographics of that group two men, two women. you know, If he had said that to another man, it would not have been it wouldn't have come off that same way, mm. but you need to be aware of these things. Um, and, and so I was talking to my friend afterwards about it, not anyone who was part of the, the team interviewing. And she said, "I'm so glad you said something." I was going to say something, but I think that it carried more weight coming from you because you are masculine presenting and it doesn't seem like you're just throwing a fit about feminism. Mm. And so, of course, when women
0: speak
1: up about it, we're throwing a fit. We're hysterical and aggressive.
2: Naturally. Do you feel
1: one tiny last question, then we'll stop. Um, Do you feel safer walking in the street alone at night?
2: A hundred percent, but people fear me more now. It used to be that people, you know, if I was walking behind someone at night, um, that person would turn around and then I would see this like look of relief because I was feminine presenting. And now there is no look of relief. So whenever there's someone that I think might be wary of me, I just, I get out of their vicinity as quickly as possible because I don't want to make wow. them uncomfortable. Because
1: you have that experience. Exactly. But the other night I was walking and this guy was walking his dog like right in front of me and as soon as I walked by and he like turned around really quickly and started walking towards me and I like turned around and I had a look of panic on my face. He goes like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm not following you. I'm so sorry. I'm going to keep walking in the other direction now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was fucking scary. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. This has been really enlightening and amazing. And I'm so grateful for, for you sharing all of this with us. Yeah, thanks for And letting me. us just like ask you whatever. Because sh- like, I was just asking you whatever came to my mind. And it yeah. felt easy to ask. Because sometimes, you know, obviously we misstep. And we're always still learning. But thank you for being so open to all the questions.
1: And I think probably just like a disclaimer. Like Sam came to us and told us that they were down for us to ask these sort of questions. I don't think that... You should just, I mean, I think that's true for like most of our guests, but don't just go up and ask people um, about this sort of stuff, I think, without their mm-hmm. permission, because I think for some people it can be kind of upsetting.
2: Right. I actively put it out there. Like anyone that knows me knows that they can come to me and ask me whatever questions they want. Um, absent that, I wouldn't pester people. It's, it can be really sensitive to talk about your gender identity even once, but to have people ask you about it all the time can be exhausting too.
0: Sam, thank you so much. Before we finish up, I just want to tell you all about some updated happenings in the world of Sluts and Scholars. Firstly, we love providing content for you and have been doing it on our own dime for most of two years. We would love to keep going, so please think about signing up for our Patreon for bonus episodes and more. Check out patreon.com slash slutsandscholars. Also, as you may already know, we're part of an amazing podcast collective known as Pleasure Podcasts. For a few weeks, we're going to feature a trailer from our Pleasure Podcast family. If you like sluts and scholars, you will probably like the rest of the collective. Here's one who also happens to be from a past guest.
2: Hey guys, I'm Holly Randall, and I am an erotic photographer, director, and producer. I started a podcast called Holly Randall Unfiltered, where I interview the biggest names in the adult industry. My goal with the show is to show the world what the adult industry is really like, and what really happens behind the scenes, what these porn stars are actually like as people, not just as performers, and show the world this is a real job. We actually take it seriously, and we have a lot of fun doing it at the same time. So make sure that you tune in to Holly Randall Unfiltered. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, you name it, and come learn what the porn industry is actually like. The Sluts and Scholars.